During the production of The Ottoman Lieutenant, the creative team reached out to Project Save, a Watertown, Massachusetts-based archive of photographs of the Armenian diaspora. The team was asking permission to use historical photos of Armenia that the archive owned for use in their film, which was set in the early days of the Ottoman Empire's entry into World War I. When Project Save vetted the film's financiers during the review of the request, they determined that they were untrustworthy and declined to grant the use of their archive. And good job by them, because when you work anywhere that serves to recognize the Armenian genocide, you better expect that every time you pick up the phone, it's going to be some crank on the other end. Better to just let it go to voicemail. And in watching the film, the scene that was to make use of the requested photos is fairly obvious because the photos they were able to obtain for the film are compressed and digitally lossy, like they raided the Creative Commons image library for whatever they had and then hit transform in Adobe Photoshop. We must speculate that many of the actors and the director of today's film regret not having vetted the producers themselves. Because while Eastern Sunrise Films has a track record of fairly large-scale productions in Turkey, it is clear in retrospect that this film was conceived of and pushed into production specifically to undermine a film we reviewed previously on Friendly Fire, The Promise. Director Joseph Rubin is contractually barred from speaking negatively about the film, despite edits done by Eastern Sunrise after he finished working on it, and his silence speaks volumes. It's the pleading the fifth of press junket answers and not a good look. And it's clear the producers deceived the people who made the film in service of a larger deception to supplement the misinformation surrounding the Armenian genocide that the Turkish government continues to spread. So why are we watching this for friendly fire? Well, we think it's important for people to familiarize themselves with what coordinated, well-funded deception looks like. There are attributes of this film that are instructive and hopefully will help all of us detect such propaganda down the road a little better. Right? Grandma and Grandpa? Hey, let's turn off the news and watch a movie. As for the story, it intentionally bears striking similarities to The Promise, framing the action around a love triangle and actors performing in English to make the film marketable to a Western audience. One of the fronts where this war on Armenians continues to be waged. And while there are some clunky special effects and the script feels fairly half-baked, a lot of the filmmaking is admittedly impressive. This isn't a B-movie. It had a budget, and there were a bunch of famous actors in it. But where was your vetting team, Ben Kingsley? What's your excuse, Josh Hartnett? Lots of people came to Turkey and worked hard to make this film the best it could be. But those grainy JPEG-looking photos in the opening moments of the film betray what it really is. Not the real history but the history that the producers wish were true and probably believed to be true. A history not borne out by the evidence, and the custodians of that evidence saw the producers for the dishonest actors they are. Let's be honest with each other. Your name and your charm have carried you this far, but now it's time for you to prove yourself. Today on Friendly Fire, it's TurkFan69's favorite movie, The Ottoman Lieutenant. Welcome to Friendly Fire, the war movie podcast that is not like being inside God's thoughts. I'm Ben Harrison. (laughs) I'm Adam Pranica. (laughs) And I'm John Roderick. What kind of God would have these (laughs) thoughts is my question. (laughs) 
Oh man, <laughs> it was weird to watch this movie. I I uh, I felt slightly bad about putting it on the list after uh, after we learned about it via our review of The Promise, and I still feel kind of bad about it. It is a really interesting experiment. I like, think it's essential that we watch it. Having watched it, I mean, I I don't think we, I don't think uh, our our viewing of the film profited anyone in, <laughs> like and in fact i think they'd probably prefer that we didn't after we after we finished this episode don't like spend money on this i think is the recommendation the idea of a producer setting out to make the promise and then a country setting out to make the ottoman lieutenant is just a fascinating exercise and how a fascinating exercise in burning two great big piles of money i mean the way that they they moved up their release dates at each other, yeah. the way yeah. the productions sort of sniped at each other throughout, you just that's a really unique story in filmmaking. Well, we have to take it into consideration that the the Ottoman Lieutenant started production before The Promise. Right. So, I mean, it, it, in the same way that the Stone Temple Pilots debut album was regarded in the popular press as a you're talking a, about Core? Core. Okay. As a copy of uh, of Pearl Jam's 10. In fact, the Stone Temple Pilots were recording Core a long time before Pearl Jam's 10 came out. So, therefore, you cannot strictly call the Stone <laughs> Temple Pilots a Pearl Jam ripoff. It's mm. just two great minds coming up with the same yeah <laughs> at the same moment. <laughs> Uh, I got the sense in reading about this that the production on the Ottoman Lieutenant starting before uh, before the promise was also part of the 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 gamesmanship. Yeah, and and like I really felt in watching this movie like there were several scenes where they're like, okay, like this is not the scene, but like this is. You know, uh, you know. Obviously, we'll rewrite this, but this is what you know. This is what we got for now. And then they got to like the day where they had to shoot that stuff, and they're like, "Fuck, okay, uh, this dialogue is trash, but we just have to, like, we just have to go with it because the promise is being made." I was expecting more uh, A to B type comparisons. Like, I was expecting the ability to be able to uh, to Pull split up a the screen, moment. Yeah. split the screen between the two films, and they're saying. Uh, contradictory things but instead i was really surprised at how much of this film was aimed at the united states like there are several scenes in the film like the the, the scene that opens in that hospital with uh with the black patient wheeled into the white hospital there are many scenes in this film that went like hey america's not that great either <laughs> you know <laughs> like who are you to judge us <laughs> i felt that that feeling pervading the entire film well, obviously, all three of us have read a lot of stuff about the production of this f- film, and we've read a lot about the comparison between the two. And so we're bringing a lot of that reading into the watching. And I tried really hard to imagine watching The Promise and The Ottoman Lieutenant without understanding the backstory of the production of the films. And I think the, you know, obviously The Promise would have been a pretty striking movie otherwise i think that the for, first of all one of the things i read was that the the turkish government funded this movie the people that were actually doing the production the actors the director and the writers even 
maybe weren't, it felt to me, maybe were a little duped in the sense that they went into the uh, the making of this film in, in fairly good faith. Like we're telling right. a story and the, the Turkish government or the production, the Turkish production had the final cut. And from, from whatever, what I read, people on the production said they cut a bunch of important stuff out. They, they, they yeah. changed. The director tried to take his name off the movie. Right. And was, and was prevented from doing so. This would have been an Alan Smithy film, but he was contractually obligated to, to keep his, his name. And he also had a non-disparagement clause. Right. Which is why a ton which of the interviews evoked, with right? him, yeah, a ton of the inter- <laughs> interviews with him was like, yeah, I'd love to talk about it, but uh, too busy, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think it's important to uh, it's important for us not to talk about this movie as though it was made as part of a conspiracy, right? Because I think the I think the people on I the don't want to hate Ben Kingsley, no. But also the the propaganda aspect of it, the the um, denialism, the revisionism, is pretty subtle. And if we hadn't watched The Promise, if we were just coming into this movie like it's a war movie. Right. And we weren't thinking about the genocide as a thing that it was still actively being papered over by the Turks. I think we could have watched this movie and, you know, because what they do is like they they absolutely both sides it, you know, hey, the it's, whole it's movie. a good people on both sides yeah. type of case that they're making. And they do it over and over. And it's very but it's very subtle there. As you said, Adam, there's no moment where where somebody stands up and goes, there was no genocide. There's just this very, this very like low key kind of, well, then the rebels came and so we had to deal with them. I was surprised at how much of the revisionism was in the vocabulary. Like, for example, uh, Eastern Anatolia, like was not a name for Armenia until (laughs) after the genocide. Like, and they call it that throughout the film. Yeah, they do. From the very beginning. And you know, in the promise, you never you never hear Eastern Anatolia, and yeah. really, you don't hear that. No one says that. Yeah. No one's ever. I mean, I mean, maybe like a map maker. Yeah, that one scene, like the only implied ethnic cleansing, happens out in the bush with that flock of vultures and a couple of rogue agents out there. Yeah. It's a couple of bad apples. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes it seem like that. And all you hear are the gunshots. You don't see over the ridge into the open grave where you could suspect that there are hundreds more bodies back there. Well, and they do get, and this is what, what struck me because the Turkish, like the Turkish denial of the genocide doesn't deny that anything happened. They just say it didn't happen like that. There wasn't like a, a Turkish government policy of kill as many Armenians as possible. Right. It was the, it, I mean, the, the Armenians were at war with the Turks is their story. And so there was a lot of killing and they, but, but like you guys say, they just sort of shrug and go, well, it happened in war. So there's, there are quite a few mentions in the movie about, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a line where he says, you know, the Armenians are being rounded up. Um, there is that scene where the women and children are, are being rounded up by rogue agents. You could watch this movie without a backstory and come away feeling like it had been acknowledged. It's just we, we've we learned so much in, in reading up about this at, at, how, at how subtle that, yeah. that revisionism is, at how, at how granular the Turkish denial is ends up being but it ends up being sweeping and pernicious 
There's another word for appreciate that that I don't have at the moment, but I was uh, I was impressed by how subtle the racism was in this film. Like every depiction of an Armenian is either uh, either a, a bandit or an old lady with a sick child, or they're refugees and dirty. And it's not like you see these large groups of them, but they like. They drip out these Armenian characters throughout the course of the film. It's like if you watch local TV news every night for a year, you are going to think that the black people in your city are are killing everyone. It's, it's like that constant reminder of, of a criminal element that's dosed out to you. And this is a film that does it like that. The first Armenians we meet are not only bandits, but they're really like ratso bandits, like yeah, selling super... back the shit that they stole from you. Like, yeah. there's that's another level of rat fuck. He refers to his Christianity with kind of bitter irony, like, oh, maybe my my Christian ethics will prevent me from killing you or something like that. Right. There's also a very palpable like Turkish nationalism that runs through the movie, like. Uh, older officer that gives a speech about how like you know the u.s is an empire and like other empires it's go it might be you know ascendant now but it will fall and turkey will always be here we've been the same civilization for thousands and thousands of years we've watched the greeks and the romans come and go like it is a a very like exceptionalist nationalist like ethno-nationalist uh picture of what turkey represents and that, that's another aspect that aims itself at the United States, too. Like, the we were here before you and we'll be here after you. Like, you are yeah. just a fucking blip in history compared to the greatness of Turkey. You have your mission, Doctor, and I have mine. Trying to imagine, like, we, we have a cast that includes an Academy Award winner um, in the form of... Um, Josh Hartnett? <laughs> in the form of Ben Kingsley. <laughs> yeah. um, Pe and pegging the movie addict needle. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, we have Josh Hartnett. We have uh, Michelle uh, Huisman, who is uh, famous from Game of Thrones, handsome fellow, and uh, rising star Hera Hilmar. And you could absolutely watch you could watch this movie and see that they were uh, not aware that there was another aspect to this production. Because the way the movie frames it, we hardly hear the word Armenian for a long time. It's phrased as a Christian-Muslim dispute. Right. It takes a while, even if you're looking for it, to pick up on the fact that Christian is synonymous with Armenian. I really wondered, like, for the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie, if there was going to be any anything at all. Because, you know, we'd read that this movie did some papering over the... The genocide, but uh, I was like, "Oh, is it just that like this story is set in the proximity of that and ignores it completely?" And it really doesn't do that. No, no, it's it's about the same thing. But but I feel like there's a movie here that got made. Yeah, yeah, there's something interesting on the cutting room floor for sure. Right, and everybody involved in the movie because because as we were just describing, like if you're not if you're not versed in this. If you're an actor who shows up at a production, if you're if you're cast in a film, a dramatic sweeping epic about World War One in Turkey and the conflict between the Muslims and the Christians, you could in absolute good faith. I mean, I, I'm I don't I'm not an actor, what? but I'm but I'm sure actors don't do a ton of research 
in the when they accept a movie, right? I mean, uh, right. Marlon Brando had his lines taped to the chest of of his co-stars <laughs> in most of his films. Like he yeah. didn't know what was happening that day. Michel Huisman doesn't have a vetting department in his uh, in, on his team. Right. So so I mean, I think that's a that is a really interesting aspect of this movie, but also there is a movie here. Um, like, uh, like a movie that's often beautiful, uh, like beautifully made. And uh, we've watched a lot of war movies where in the process of reviewing them, we've realized, oh, this movie has a take and it is propagandistic in one form or another, right? There are plenty of movies out there that give you a skewed impression of the war or, or of whatever war it's, um, it's depicting, because of the sensibilities of the people on the home front. And, you know, a lot of times as Americans, we're not conscious as much, or we have to take an extra moment to look into movies of, of American war conduct and see, oh, we're kind of glossing over something bad here, or there's a lot of racism in this movie that we didn't notice maybe on first blush. So I also want to talk about this as a, as a movie before it got to, you know, and, and and honestly, in all the stuff that I read, I, I couldn't see exactly when the cold fingers of denialism worked their way into this script. And it, and it might have, because the script is bad, you know, (laughs) the script isn't, the script isn't like propagandistic as much as it is just a cliched pile of it's really Pearl Harbor bad. So every line is sort of just like, whoa, yeah. really? I laughed out loud when she walked up to Ben Kingsley and was like, would your wife have wanted you to punish yourself like this? Oh, what's amazing is that line cured him of his ether addiction. It just, yeah, just we should all be so lucky that addiction could be cured that easily. Yeah, he was a junkie one moment, like on the verge of suicide. And she With like, like red lesions all over his fucking face. She tucked him into bed, took away his ether kit. I don't know where she closed his rig up. Yeah. yeah, Right. I don't even know if she took it away. She closed the door. Would your wife want you to punish yourself this way? And the next day he was better. I was like, look great. What the fuck do we even have alcoholics anonymous for? Good night's sleep. Come on. Have you ever done ether, John? No. And watching him like, you know, but ether was one of those drugs that when I was on drugs, it was like, whoa, could you like get ether? <laughs> you know, we were we, we were trying to get high off go on every the dark web and order yeah. it off of the Silk Road or something. Well, but but at the time, like if you knew somebody in the medical profession, you were trying to get you were trying to get morphine from them. Right. right. And not it, it, like ether just seemed like, oh, sure. It would be like, lol. You know, we were growing poppies trying to, and milking them, you know, trying to right. get high. So, uh, no, I, but watching it, I was like, whoa, ether. Ether just sounds yeah. like an instant headache. It, it does, but it, it sounds awful. But it's, it, but it felt, it feels like it's so opium den. Yeah. Anyway, I, he didn't make me want to do ether from, from that, that I make he, up alone. He sure doesn't make it look cool. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Ben, any chance you're on ether? Because <laughs> you really have the look about you of a man who's on ether. Yeah, old shaky hands Dr. Woodruff. I love Ben Kingsley. And, I've, yeah. and you know, like, uh, he's, done some, he's done some great acting in his career and, I'm, and across a pretty wide spectrum of characterization. And in this movie, 
I did not feel like he was giving us his A game. He really, he he did some bad acting. You know here. what's interesting about Ben Kingsley is that like he takes something off of his fastball in this film and he's still blowing away every other actor here. <laughs> and that is not, I'm not disparaging any other actor in the cast, but this is fucking Ben Kingsley, you know? He's super killer. I mean, yeah. he, 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 he uh, like chews up the scenery, but there's a little bit of like, you're going to turn this opportunity, yes, except overdone and with a bad script, right? Like, so he's just, he's sort of, there's there's that, at the at the moment of his most ethery, uh, like hallucinatory. His most ethereal. His oh, yeah. Wow. How about that. Where was wow. I for that? I just was sleeping on the side of the road, and you drove by in a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. In his most ethereal, uh, he's like he did he did this gesticulating at like he was almost doing finger guns. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, hmm. There are a few of those moments. There's a moment in this movie. There are a couple of moments where people make like, yeah, kind of gestures that I that I felt like were not very 1914. When you talk about like act drunk as one of the great acting challenges, the, the scene where he's going to go in and pull the little shard of glass out of the kid's eye and can't can't keep his hands from shaking is... One of the all-time bad shaky hand scenes. So bad. His hand is super stable, and then right as he gets there, it's like... (laughs) (laughs) The surgery scenes in this film are positively gruesome. There's a lot of blood and guts. That cyst scene had me squirming. Wow. That was was maybe the best special effect in the movie. Did that one make your mouth water, Ben? That was, that was tremendous. Ben, do you go on do you go on pimple popping websites? Oh yeah. The, but there's there are a lot of like we noticed this about the promise, right? That there were some incredibly beautiful shots of uh Turkey or Eastern Anatolia as we're calling it in this film. The Turkish tourism board has got to love both of these films. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Yeah. And this one has uh, has some very very. Ep- I mean, there's a lot of weird CGI at the beginning, the ship mm-hmm. and the and the CGI Istanbul that just sort of feels like some very terrible chroma keying and yeah. green screen. There's, they even chroma keyed or or did some kind of comp on the uh, on the on slideshow the slideshow at the yeah. beginning. And it's like, you, why, just, you see the green some slides, the green halo around the back of his head. I was like, why why was it? This isn't. This, there's not a lot of action in this shot. It's not like yeah. Spider Man climbing a wall. <laughs> Istanbul was another thing that was uh, not contemporaneous with the film, right? Like, oh, was, they say Istanbul. Yeah, and, and they also they call say. it World War One. Way to walk all over my goddamn moment of pedantry! <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> oh Ben, uh, do you have a do you have a moment of pedantry? <laughs> not anymore. Wow. Maybe I'll come up with the rating system for this. <laughs> well, uh, it, nothing stopped you from stepping on that before. <laughs> There are no sacrosanct bits on Friendly Fire. Apparently not. Apparently not. Yeah. I stay away I mean, from both both of you. Also, the one time I did that apparently accounts for yeah. It accounts me in my mind. Ruining it's every your entire time. life. Yeah. <laughs> but I was curious to ask you guys. It's like we're married, Ben. Yeah, it yeah, really it is. Like is. One offense is an offense for all time. It really you're is putting, like you're married. Constantly putting your chilly feet up against my leg under the sheets. Somehow I'm your like neighbor bachelor friend that has to come over and deal with your bickering yeah. like 
<laughs> yeah. But you get the applause break every time you come through the back door, right? But I'm not even sleeping with either one of you. It seems like I should at least be like <laughs> adding problems to this. Yeah. Not just Neither of us put out, it. you know? That's the problem. We make you sleep on the couch. Gross. I was admiring the beauty of the landscape. <sighs> I'm curious about why this movie is beautiful, how you make a movie that's this beautiful and how, again, like we're, we're watching these two movies get made, The Promise and The Ottoman Lieutenant, and they are chasing each other and there are, they are trying to, we, we get a real sense toward the, toward the end of the production that, as Adam said, they changed the release date when The Promise changed its release date in order to use... Um, Hollywood gaming, but to, you know, to hurt the other film. Right. And yet they both are like, are beautiful in a similar way. And it doesn't, and it feels like that has to have been true at the beginning of the production. So what are they doing? Did they just buy expensive lenses or is it just the light? Because I think this movie was actually filmed in the Czech Republic. So it's not remote, largely filmed in the Czech Republic. So it's not like there's this, it's not just the Turkish air. Uh, well, and, and the promise, I don't think, I don't think they even went anywhere near Turkey because they were pretty scared to be making the movie in the first place. But I mean, I think that it's a combination of, uh, having a very competent DP, like the period setting, like all of the, all of the textures and the fabrics and the, and the colors and the, and the landscape are all, uh, gorgeous and, and you know, in some ways sentimental yeah. uh, to us. Uh, I think this movie seemed slightly less beautiful to me than mm-hmm. uh, the, than The Promise, but, uh, you know, still aspirationally good-looking as a movie. There's some, some pretty gorgeous compositions, and obviously the producers had a different and somewhat secret secretive agenda relative to the you know, the actual people in, in the production, but there's some kind of religious imagery in it that is very like stirring, you know, like the, the camera panning up in the, in the mosque and like, you know, catching a glimpse of the crescent moon in the boat when he's, when he's dying. And like, they're like, I think that that stuff is all self-consciously pro-religious imagery that was all like, fairly breathtaking you know like seeing mount ararat on the horizon and, and and all that stuff like it seems inspired in a way that you know you don't necessarily expect from a, a crew that <laughs> doesn't you know doesn't intend to make a movie that is for a nationalist uh revisionist worldview the reasons that the conflict occurred in this film are darker but this is not a conflict that is unique to this film the idea of a crew and a cast and a director coming together to make a thing that is then retroactively edited or cut down in a way by a production company or a producer or a studio is a fairly common story in hollywood films right so while it is not a surprise that this film was cut after its its assembly, like it's shitty by whom it was cut. Well, because the movie itself is a love triangle movie, you know, right parallel to The Promise, which also was a love triangle movie. 
there's there's some scenes that feel like they're just the exact same scene except slightly less well done. Right. Uh, like 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 Josh Hartnett is absolutely a sort of a lesser Christian Bale, right? I mean, it it's pretty astonishing. <laughs> Did you watch the previews to both films? No. They were almost identical. I think really? the confusion was intentional. But but the but the love triangle plot I mean this is what makes the this is what makes the pol- the politicalness of this not the 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 politicalness isn't really even in the movie it's just in the cut it's in it's in 10 lines of dialogue it's in it's in a, a failure to to portray accurately something that actually that actually happened and again that's a thing that we 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 see we see all the time but the movie itself, because, you know, because like I say, we were all hyped. We, we all went into this movie having read already that this was the story of the of the competition between these two movies and the, their competing stories. So trying to watch it as like, all right, you know, this is a movie that we're just watching and trying to figure out like what the. Is this even a good love triangle movie? I mean, she's never even tempted by the Josh Hartnett character. And I thought that that kind of felt somewhat baked into the kind of taking digs at the U.S. element. Well, except that she, I mean, the Josh Hartnett character and she had that meet cute at the slideshow. That's the whole reason she went to Turkey. I mean, it seemed at the beginning of the movie like she was just falling in love with every handsome guy she met. I guess I didn't I didn't read it as her being in love with him as much as wanting to go on an adventure by any means necessary. Yeah, but isn't that how you and your wife ended up being married? It's not like she <laughs> fell in love with you. She was just like, well, this guy's going to need a lot of care. Our wives grew to love us. <laughs> I did I definitely didn't offer any adventure to her. <laughs> that Lily character is such a a flat story. We're introduced to her as someone who is interested in adventure and changing the world. Like her, her intentions are, are bold and interesting. And once she gets to Turkey, which by the way, I want to talk about how you take a boat from Philadelphia to Turkey and how long that takes. (laughs) Holy shit. Is this a pedantic moment? I mean, she must've been on that boat for six months. (laughs) What is the root of that boat? Anyway, like once she gets there, she seems to forget, like she seems uh, totally focused on just being a nurse and not changing the world or her circumstances geographically in a more broad sense. Like she seems totally shrunk by the situation. And I'm not saying that she should have like became a hero in a way that could have stopped World War I from starting, but, but, she, <laughs> but she definitely became... Uh, subject to her circumstances instead of a character who had any sort of agency of her own. She didn't really have much of an arc. No, in not the sense at all. That at the end, she's like, I now I'm one. It was the worst move, the worst line in the movie. She's there at the very end, credits rolling, right? She's ministering to, as you described earlier, Adam, some old ladies and some little kids and mm-hmm. some, you know, some uh, people that were just absolutely like bedraggled mm-hmm. and intentionally bedraggled yeah. and she's there caring for them and and uh, the voiceover comes in and says I am one of them now like you are not one of them lady you will <laughs> never be one of them and you're not right now 
We needed another half hour of this film to even come close to that sort of conclusion for her character. I thought it was interesting that she kept asking for like basic words in Turkish. Like, how do you say hello? Like, you've been in Turkey for months. <laughs> like, you don't know how to say hello yet? Well, no, at the very end of the movie, as she's as she's ministering to these bedraggleds, she <laughs> she, she speaks to them in Turkish. Yeah. She she knew three words of Turkish before that, but then so then she's fluent in it at the end because yeah. these are her people. She's she's there. You you you're you're singling out the bedraggled really resonated with me because because I think it's one of the one of the aspects Ben you talked about uh moments of beautiful composition but there were some moments of very uh overthought composition where somebody will be standing in a courtyard and there will be 15 bedraggleds kind of all <laughs> zombie marching in or whatever members of the bedraggled community <laughs> and you can <laughs> and you can see like they each have like a little x in the sand out of white uh, tape that they're being told to walk slowly toward mm-hmm. like there's some there's some stuff that they were thinking in terms of composition but they just didn't um they didn't hide the 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 strings from us you yeah. could really see that somebody standing with a megaphone going like, all right, now everyone march on slower, slower. <laughs> Look a little bit more listless, please. <laughs> you remember that fight that, uh, that Jude and Ismail got into outside the hospital and the American flag in between them? Oh, that was wow. another moment of intentional composition there. One, two, yeah. Could you watch this movie as an American and feel like, uh, feel good about it because our protagonists are Americans working a- in Turkey as like sort of hospital people. Again, absolutely like a, a-, a theme of the promise and, um, and the American flag is all over it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about Christianity in this. There's, there's a weird, it feels almost like a, like a Christian apologist movie as well. And there's such an interesting tension in that, like the, it does have a a very nationalistic backbone to the story, but also like, it's a context where, you know, the, this is a country that needs a hospital to be built by another generous, richer country. And like, there's the scene where the, the Turkish military is making the case for, Hey, we need to, we need to like kind of prioritize Turkish military here at the hospital. And they they kind of fight back saying we're our own hospital and we'll determine who we serve and who we don't and all are welcome here. Nothing's more American than all are welcome here. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting to have like those kinds of issues come up in a, in a movie that is, uh, you know, nationalistic in the way that this is. And I, and I feel like we do, we do that in our, in our movies too, you know, like, uh, Occasionally, you you will see an American film that is made, you know, with primarily an American audience in mind, kind of like try and reckon lightly with some of the ugly parts of our history without throwing the baby out with the bathwater or whatever. The bedraggled baby. (laughs) The bedrags. Out with its dirty bathwater. Like, so much of evangelical Christianity is focused on Israel as a place and Jewish people. And it made me wonder why 
This is such a this is a bigger question than our podcast can answer. But why? I don't know that. I don't why know would that evangelical Christianity ignore an atrocity like the Armenian genocide when aren't the Armenians their people? The evolution of the idea within the evangelical community that they are that that global Christianity is a thing is fairly recent. I think at, at in 1914, at least the Christian denominations were all still, <clears throat> they didn't see an Orthodox Christian as a brethren. Mm. They, they were, I mean the, the evangelicals in this country were at war with the Catholics. Right. For, it was too fractured. Yeah. Until 1999 oh, yeah. pretty much. And, and, um, well, now that Israel stuff is really wrapped up in like eschatology and like trying to, trigger the book of revelations there was i mean I, again i can't locate exactly where the turkishness or where the where the turkish production company stepped in here because at the the very beginning of the film one of the first things you see you know then in in modern movies now you have 15 different title cards of all the different production companies before yeah. every film now yeah. where it's just like, and here's the animated lamp and Oh, there's the, this, Oh, a deck of cards turns into a butterfly. Oh, what? You know, it's just like, <laughs> fuck you get on with it. And this one sit boo boo sit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in this one, a guy in a turban uh, in silhouette comes and walks up the side of a hill. And then he's uh, you know, he's snapshot. And the production company is called Eastern uh, Eastern Turk Sunrise. Fan sixty nine. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, right at the beginning, I mean, I, when I saw that, having forgotten for a second that this was that the production company was was a, a manner of contention here, I was like, whoa, weird title sequence or weird title card to have a guy in a turban. You know, it's pretty Orientalist. I, I wonder if they shot that for this movie because the there's definitely a heavy use of silhouetted figures against a, a bright sky and you know as a, a visual theme element right. in the film. But I know, I've noticed this um, in traveling in Muslim countries. There's a thing that you kind of don't you're not aware of as a American as much, but we think of Arab countries, for instance, as Muslim countries. And in the Muslim countries that I've traveled in, they think of America as a Christian country. And so in conversation with people, um, they would say, well, as a Muslim and you as a Christian, we have this and that to right. talk about. And I would say, whoa, 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 I'm not a Christian. You know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a USA American. I'm like a guy that, like I'm, you know, I, I like surf the wave of knowledge. And <clears throat> they would get kind of that saggy shoulder sort of frustration with me and they would go, you're a Christian. I'm a Muslim. Yeah. I've had this, I've had this argument with my wife. Like she like conceives of herself as Jewish in a way that is like, regardless of like whether or not she goes to synagogue or, you know, even necessarily believes in God or, or practices any particular part of it. She, you know, Jewish is part of her identity and has occasionally projected Christian onto me. And I'm like, no, I don't, it's not, <laughs> that's not how I think of myself. Well, and, and, you know, with, within the Jews, it's a, it's an ongoing centuries old question. Are they, are the Jews, is it a religion or is it a race? Right. But like we Ben don't, Shapiro would, 
would say she's not Jewish. But Right, she's not Jewish enough. But Ben Shapiro should get kicked in the balls. We don't think of Christian as a race. But from the from the standpoint of the Muslim world, they kind of do, right? You know, like you're a Northern European, you're a Christian, you're an American, you're a Christian. And there's parts of history where they where that was how Europeans thought of themselves. It was called Christendom for a well, long time. Sure. And I think within the Muslim world there are plenty of people that would say, Look, I'm not a Muslim. I don't go to I don't go to church. Like I like playing video games and smoking pot just as much as the next guy. But from the standpoint of like what we're talking about right now, let's just acknowledge like, do you know, do you you know the story of Adam and Eve? Right. Okay, good. You're a Christian. And there's there's that element of that in this movie where it feels like the Christian or the sort of Christian pandering that goes on in this movie is happening from the standpoint of of like a non-Christian production company that is assuming that Americans will respond to yeah uh to crosses being silhouetted on a on a with a fire behind it or you know that it felt like a little bit of a not a tone deafness but a kind of tonal miss step in exactly what how your average american thinks of themselves as christian first or not I can- I kind of wondered if that was period appropriate, though. Like, did more people kind of self-identify as Christian in 1914 or whatever this is supposed to be? Right. I think think within the world of the film, yes, agreed. But there was also that that, um, sort of within the world of the production, being separate from the world of the film. Josh Hartnett's character is emphatically a Christian and that becomes freighted with some kind of like anti-Muslim bigotry that is implied about him. I, I guess more than implied, right? He like, you know, he, it, it becomes clear that he just like doesn't like Muslim people. Well, he doesn't actually. like the, the chief Muslim who is stealing his, who he imagines is his girl, but does, is he, is he racist against other Muslims? Does he think they all have abscesses that need to be drained? <laughs> or is he is he just racist against the titular Ottoman lieutenant? Well, I think that he it's that paternalistic like she's one of ours, you know, keep your hands off our our Christian women kind of. Yeah, you know what? That makes the story far more interesting. Uh the idea that his uh dislike of Muslims could be informed by uh Lily being "Quote unquote stolen from him," that's kind of an interesting take. Do you think? Did Jude smell dick on Lily's breath when she comes <laughs> home from that night with him? And he definitely, like, he puts his hands on the side of her head and <laughs> gets a little close, and then she's like, "You were with him." Yeah. So she smells like sex in some way. I was shocked by that, by what that scene was trying to say. Maybe the Ottoman lieutenant really overdoes it with the uh, CK1 or something. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He smells like incense and rare spice. But there there was quite a bit of to do in their relationship between it, w- with him, especially saying like this will, how can we be together? It's, it's, we're, we're from different worlds. We're different religions. And that felt anachronistic in terms of it being a modern movie, although probably exactly what he would have said in 1915 
Speaking of things yeah. he said, as a declaration of love, I've been wanting to touch you from the moment I saw you. Not a great line. Are you kidding? I use that all the time. I've, hi, I've been wanting to touch you since the moment I saw you. I feel like you said that to me backstage yeah. at like our LA show. I did. Yeah. I've been wanting to touch you since I was really I got off on my game bus. that show. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about the combat because there is some in this movie. There's like a pretty exciting raid on the village where uh i guess the armenian dissidents or or defectors or whatever have kind of kicked the kicked the turkish military out of uh is it van the van, name yeah. of the town yeah which is a pretty big and, town and so he's sent in with with like a a small group of of soldiers and they get like pinned down by a sniper um I thought that, that that was pretty like pretty excellent action direction because it's it's kind of a lot of territory that we're seeing and we do really get the sense of him flanking the sniper and sneaking up behind him in a way that I feel like a lot of movies we've watched have failed to make it clear like how the how the topography works. Right, Rambo would have just showed up right behind him. Rambo was only there to take pictures, John. <laughs> Uh, great sound design to that scene too, Ben. Yeah, like, like yeah. the way that the shots echoed off of the buildings. Great. And interestingly, like it seemed like the Armenians were extremely capable fighters in this movie relative to the promise. That was exactly the thing that made me feel like the people that are making this movie are not aware of the way that it, that the political intent is being threaded through it because if you were right. given that scene to film you would say yes this is a cool action sequence this is totally awesome let's do this really well and they did it really well yeah but, but the subtext being that the armenians were not being rounded up and murdered and buried but that they were a that they were a rebel force that was in active combat and were they were super capable yeah you know it like just contrasted with the russians who are like comically drunk oh my god the entire like every time you see a, a russian they're like stumbling and they're dirty talk about bedraggled the, the russians do not come off well in this movie who's dirtier yeah. the, the armenians or the russians the russians are film. dirtier because they're covered with with sweat and barf and the armenians are just covered with blood and dirt you can see there is a natural alliance to be had there right the <laughs> the bedraggled people of the world uniting oh, to right there's something coded into this combat, too, which is that we're not seeing Armenians fight Turks in this scene. We're seeing Armenians shoot at our main characters and shoot at us. And yeah. I thought that was another, like, subtle point that the film was was trying to, to make. Like, right. We don't get their perspective, do we? Yeah. No. That's such a, a fascinating place to be as a viewer. You know, the at the beginning of this uh, at the of the war like there's like a hard cut to black and white in the middle of a shot yeah that was crazy and then they start showing archival footage of world war one and we get hera hilmar's voiceover like of course the turks joined germany and <laughs> and like it leaves totally uninterrogated the idea that we would we would just like still be on the side of the turks in this context well because we're always against the russians right right because she she bounces from of course they joined germany because the russians were you know massing on their eastern front preparing to invade 
that leaves this like weird political thread hanging, which is like, so what about the hospital on the hill with the American flag waving over it? You're now like the enemy. What happens to the hospital? Well, and we saw that in the promise too, right? I mean, remember the Ottoman, the Ottoman officer that came and said, I can't come here anymore. But, yeah, um, but they don't address it in this movie. It's just it's just like left as like yeah yeah you just keep having your hospital in that scene where the doing. where the the Turkish the Turkish officer comes and says I want you to treat Turkish soldiers from now on I mean there's a there's an awful lot of implicit threat there like that's what's interesting to me about the film like the Turks do get there are moments where they are portrayed in in quite a few moments where they're portrayed in less than a good light and primarily because our protagonist. Uh, the Ottoman lieutenant seems an un it seems a reluctant member of the Turkish ruling class, right? And and in the penultimate scene, yeah. he's the one that puts himself in front of a bullet fired by a Turkish army guy, uh, where they're trying to kill Armenians. So he he martyrs himself for the Armenians. I mean, there's a lot of, of, um, he's one of the good ones on one that side, ones. but, it, but it's weird for a, for a movie from a Turkish production company to, to have as many bad Turks in it as this does. And to have the good, the one good Turk be, you know, pretty, it's, it's pretty unclear where he stands. He does do, yeah. he does do quite a few of those. Like that when she says, Oh, it's so beautiful here. And he goes, thank you. <laughs> it is my country. I've done my best. <laughs> well, and it, it was very, it was very much in keeping with what you were saying before, like this, this sort of strange, like, this is my land. Yeah. It's like, is it though? Isn't this really more Armenia? If I didn't know more about the context of, of this movie and I saw that, that one Turkish, I guess, ser sergeant or whatever, that's doing the bad apple killing of Armenians. I would be like, that is the most racist depiction <laughs> of a Turk, <laughs> a Turkish, Turkish military I've ever seen. Like the crazy mustache and the just like dead, hateful eyes. I want to interrogate the potential for bringing too much conspiracy into making this film. There is an argument, and I think it's one I've I've read, where um, sort of sort of the way that we we think about Russian hackers now having no clear agenda other than to disrupt, you know, to just any, anything that causes strife within American culture seems to benefit the Russians. And it, and it's not, they don't care whether Trump or Clinton gets elected. What they want is for America to be divided. And that's a new kind of way of looking at global political you know, what kind of strategy is that? But it, but it's a strategy of just sort of undermine your enemy. It doesn't matter how. And there's a, there's a way of looking at the production or the, or the way this movie ended up and the, the way it was positioned against the promise where you could say all of these choices to have the Turkish guy be a racist caricature or to have our Ottoman Lieutenant be ambivalent about his military service. All of this isn't really, it's not presenting a coherent political viewpoint as much it is as much as it's just muddying the water of the story of a more clearly articulated story of this conflict and i don't know if this is intentional or if this is if this is a read 
but it seems like there's there's enough of that in this movie where where the 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 production company could legitimately say what do you mean we we totally tell the story of how bad the turks are we right. also tell it's the story of plausible deniability the the more coded it is the more muddy it is yeah right yeah and you know the whole scene at the roller rink like it's you know we totally interrogate disco music and it's like well, it, it it's not <laughs> you know it's just part of a it's part of a program to make the promise flop but you couldn't make a movie like this with that as your sole intent oh. right this is a fully fledged movie mm-hmm. i'm so fascinated by the way both of these movies just crashed and burned at the box office like That's this one made two hundred and forty thousand dollars it's like mutually assured filmmaking destruction and maybe I that was can't a, think of another story like it maybe that was a great investment if you know if this played any role in the promise being suppressed yeah i wonder if there was ever any risk or doubt like if your intention in making the ottoman lieutenant is to suppress the idea of a promises uh, popularity was there ever any thought in the back of anyone's mind like could we accidentally make both of these films massive successes and then what <laughs> <laughs> like was there ever the thought that this was an Armageddon deep impact situation where like yeah. it's mutually assured success because what would have happened if that had been the outcome because then I think the conversations that the three of us are having on the show are having they're being had more broadly in a right. way that I don't think serves the people who produced the Ottoman lieutenant at all right because like the critical and and media response around the time was all about the kind of horse race between these movies like yeah but like do you really want to win if you're the ottoman lieutenant like is that the dark secret of it like setting aside the idea of who might have known the true intention of the production but like do you want it to fail is that the goal because if it's a success, like success means conversation. And if you're a Turk person with a certain worldview, you do not want this discussed. I think that um, the politicization of it kind of spoils the broth a little bit. Like the user reviews on IMDb of these two movies, they're, they're just, it's all either 10 stars or one star. Right. And, and it's all because of one political viewpoint or another. It's like this is a terrible movie and also it denies the Armenian genocide or this is a great movie and it's the real story of what happened. I think both productions hoped that their movie would be huge because both productions focused the lion's share of their attention on a love triangle story. Both female protagonists fall in love with someone from the East, a mystical, you know, dark, swarthy. Right. Um, and in other. the promise, she's kind of like she's Armenian, but she's been like educated in Paris. She's very westernized, right? And here we have like a corn-fed, good old Philadelphia girl. <laughs> and and so you know, yeah, those uh, those cheese corn sandwiches famous in Philadelphia. <laughs> so they're all oh, good old cheese corn. So they're not they're not making these movies as I mean they're trying to they're setting these movies within a conflict but what they're trying to make is the French lieutenant's woman you know they're trying to make a sweeping epic period love story and hoping to get people into the theaters and then hoping to get their you know hoping that the sub story gets publicity 
And the sub story got plenty of publicity in, in both films without anybody having to go see the movie. But if you were your typical moviegoer who just was like, oh, I'll go see this movie. It looks interesting. It's got Christian Bale in it. And you get in there and watch this movie. You don't come out the other side very – this movie or The Promise, really – very yeah. well informed about where you even are in the world because you're because you're spending most of the movie worried about which guy she's going to choose. They're not documentaries, they're they're bodice rippers. And that and that that bodice ripping is I think a major a major play for like get this in the multiplexes. There's right. something in between bodice ripper and documentary that is war film though. Yeah. For us. That's right. And I think on this show, the films that we like the least are the ones that have the opportunity to tell a war story and decide not to. And this is one of those examples. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Although, you know, her her lover dies in her arms. Um, in the fuck boat. In the, fu- in the fuck boat. With the, you know, by uh, from a bullet fired by his own countrymen as he valiantly tries to save an oppressed people a group of 15 of them or 25 of them. Yeah. I can't, I can't help but feel like the, the war setting here is too obscure for these to have ever been major films because, because half of the, half of the audience couldn't, couldn't find Turkey on a map. Is this the Titanicification of, of major period or major historical event, dramatic filmmaking? I think that's very, that's a very savvy take. Yeah, it's so it's so Titanic-y. It's indirect storytelling. I don't know if I agree with that, Adam, because a lot of movies have like the central question in, in them is a uh, is melodramatic, and then they are set against a backdrop of X. Like mm-hmm. The Godfather is a movie about whether Michael Michael Corleone is going to betray his wife or not. It's set in what? amidst a a mob war. That's a crazy take. <laughs> <laughs> that is the central question. It's about it, like it's really a, like a situation comedy. If it's you just... had been over here, Ben, you would have seen simultaneous blinking guy memes from me and John. <laughs> watch, watch it again. I, I think that the I, Godfather I, or the Godfather Part Two. The Godfather. I mean, there's there's like bookended scenes where you know it becomes clear that he's like chosen the family over her at the end of the movie. It's the question about his character, but he's the main character, and it's and you process that question through the context of the movie. And I don't think that that's unusual. I think that like most good movies. I don't disagree with your, with your thesis about uh, it being a viable storytelling technique to, to do it that way. I think my point is more specific to uh, actual historical events. I disagree with your thesis about the Godfather. (laughs) But I but I understand what you're saying about this movie. Yeah, you, right. This is a this is like an ancient. This is true in Greek tragedy too, right? I mean, we, there's always a there's always a romance somewhere at the center of it to to give the, to give everybody stakes. Because what higher stakes are there than who's gonna get laid in the boat? <laughs> right. Wars are started for for less. As Marie Colvin said to her shit heel husband, the hero always gets the girl. Hmm. We are film experts on this show. How do you fix this film? Uh, I would take like 
40 to 60% of the lesions off Ben Kingsley's face. <laughs> oh, that's a good place to start. Probably save some budget there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some... Save him an hour in the makeup chair every yeah. morning. If Yeah. If, if this movie had five references in it where some officer walked into a room and said, you know, with a sneer, like, we're really... You know, we're really eliminating the Armenians from the world, snicker, snicker, snicker. And everybody gasped in horror. And then we went back to the romance. If that had happened five times, would this movie have had, uh, would it be redeemed? I don't know. I feel like I'd be like, how can she bang that guy while the military he's part of is doing what it's doing? Not all Turks. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the heart wants what it wants, Ben. Yeah, I guess so. But so, I mean, it, if this movie was more overt um, and and instead of in those five scenes where they used extreme, where, where the euphemistic language was very tortured, if they had just come out and said genocide five times, then we would be looking at this movie as a sort of middling period war romance and not in the context of it being a, um, a a political punching robot arm. You almost could see again, using the sort of Russian uh, destabilizing model, you could almost see a way where they could have more overtly referenced the Armenians as a victimized people but coming short of using the word genocide or allowing for it actually to have been a genocide and maybe have insulated themselves a little bit more and have, and the movie would still be effective as a kind of a propaganda destabilizer. Like where is that line Yeah, where they could have done this surreptitiously made the production company something like American flag production company. I always wonder about that though. Cause like, I mean, how do you know? Like I think that the, the Russian thing of we're going to just spread misinformation and chaos is a much surer bet than a than trying to nail like the exact amount of misinformation to to lace into something. Right. Right. And I bet you they thought they did a pretty good job because it is anybody that 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 rented this on VHS from Blockbuster in 2017 <laughs> and took it home to watch with their, you know, with their college buddies uh, with some popcorn and some PJs, some footy PJs. Uh, I don't think you would pick up on the fact that this movie was not telling the entire story. Whereas if you picked up, a, if you watched a movie about World War II that made it seem like the Holocaust was... Yes. Sure, some Jews died, but a lot of people died. Right, or like, we needed to suppress that Jewish uprising. Um, right. I think, yeah. you know... That the- Warsaw Ghetto was getting really <laughs> rowdy and had to be had to be dealt with some, somehow. Yeah, there, there's enough common popular knowledge of what happened that I don't think, I don't think most people would, would swallow it or would, you know, would, would be able to watch it without, without, um, red flags going up but this is still a this is still a chapter of history that i mean there are so many of these right that we could watch a movie right now about the tamil tigers and we would have no idea whether it was a propaganda movie or not 
uh, right. we would have to go look and see who made it and read the critical assessment of it because we don't know enough. We wouldn't be able to yeah. if it was well enough made. I mean, in this movie, like the script for this movie had to seem real enough that Ben Kingsley at all would say yes to being in it, right? Well, I think the script writer thought he was he was doing a great job. And yeah. that's that's where I'd pay. I would pay money, actual money out of my own pocket to see exactly where the fingers of the of the production got involved. Did they do strip script doctoring? It doesn't yeah. seem like it because this script could have been doctored a lot more by anybody, <laughs> right? I mean, you could have handed it over to Josh Hartnett and said, "Hey, can you write a can you do a better draft of this?" Yeah. And I bet he could comes have. back with a lot of like burger sauce stains on it. But the but the bad script isn't because isn't uh, it's not bad because it's jingoistic. Yeah. It's, were they like scuffing up the clothes that the Armenian extras were going to be wearing? Right. Or, I mean, but that seems <laughs> that's another one where it just feels like, oh yeah, 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 the refugees and the and like you could be you could make this movie unintentionally because you just didn't have uh, you you weren't sensitive to the nuance, right? It, it's important that the that the hospital patients be bedraggled. It yeah. would take you a whole film to realize that every Armenian you saw was was a bedrag. What you're saying, John, is stay woke. You got to be woke all the time. But but it's impossible to it's impossible for us to know every conflict in the world and that's I think what's great for me about doing this show. You got to be woke or you need to watch the movies in the right order because if you just wander into this film before seeing The Promise I think you do it wrong. Well, and this is a this is a I think a great opportunity for people that really are are listening to this show as a film studies class to absolutely watch these two movies. Yeah. Back to back or in any order. But get this one off like BitTorrent or something. <laughs> you're going to have questions and you're going to have to do some reading, I guess. Yeah. The only way you could watch these movies and have a have an appreciation for what is really going on is to do some do some side reading. Right. Because that's what we did, and we're all just like uh, kind of roughed up by it. Inside God's thoughts. But what if you, you know, what if we just watch this movie on a plane, having never <laughs> seen The Promise, right? I mean. Yeah, it would be a ball of tears, but I was a ball of tears when I watched the Lego movie on a plane. <laughs> it's just what happens to me. <laughs> the air is thinner up there, Ben. Yeah. The, uh, the tears run free in that environment. They're, they're less viscous much like uh, relieving the pressure inside a cyst so too must the hosts of friendly fire relieve themselves in the form of a review of the film we just discussed good god so much built-up pressure i can feel it Mm. (laughs) this is awful i wanted to make the cyst the the review oh thank god uh but i can't do that it's too disgusting Also, cysts come in uh, many different sizes. Your cyst might be larger than mine. Probably would be, TBH. Uh, But one object in the film remains the same size throughout. That is Lily's truck. Lily's brother's truck. Lily's brother's truck. Who makes the 14-month boat trip from Philadelphia to Turkey in the hold. Uh, A truck that belongs in Turkey... Like, the film belongs in the world. Like, the truck looks useful. It took a ton of effort to get it there. 
uh, but it just doesn't belong. And that's how I feel about this film. This is a film with a lot of polish, a lot of great acting talent is brought to bear in this film, and it looks good, but it's muddying the waters of an atrocity that doesn't need any more erasure. And it's so hard to review in that context because I want to savage it review-wise for its intention, but as a film, this is not a savageable offense. It's just not a good film. What it does more than anything for me is like, it reminds me that all war films are projecting a worldview or a point of view about the conflict that it's talking about, but how many of the films that we've seen stoop to the level of atrocity erasure? I think we've got to be like, it has made me more vigilant about that going forward. Like, and not all war films depict atrocities, but there are moments in every war that are awful and hard. And it makes me, as we watch war films going forward, to be more on the lookout for those moments in films that don't really give us the whole story or paper over some unsavory aspects of it. So I think that's maybe something positive to to take away from watching a film like this one. I don't remember how many things I gave The Promise. I want to make very sure that I don't rate this one higher than that. No, we 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 were pretty laudatory of The Promise. I think I'm going to give this just a... Having said all of the things I've already said about how I hate the reason this film was made and the erasure <laughs> of it, I want to be clear about that. I'm I'm only going to give this two trucks, though. I don't think this is a one-truck film as much as I want it to be. I find myself sometimes when the movies are bad, having to watch them more than once. And it is in the way of like reading a book and you find that your mind has wandered and you don't know what the paragraph you, you're mm-hmm. working on mm-hmm. is about and you have to go back to the beginning of it. And I had like two hours to watch this movie yesterday before my wife got home and uh, I needed to turn off the bad movie and uh, you know eat dinner and be a present husband and and this movie is an hour and 50 minutes long and i was struggling to maintain my intent attention and i still had to rewind a couple of times because i was like oh look at me i'm doing the new york times crossword puzzle on my phone somehow here in the middle of this movie like that's how interesting it is to me that i didn't even notice that i took out my phone and started working on a crossword puzzle <laughs> like and I had to like rewind like five minutes of the movie and, and so that I, you know, could give an honest uh, reaction to it today. And I think that is, you know, uh, I, I think the bigger, the biggest crime of this movie is obviously the, the denialism of the Armenian genocide, but a close second in its being a film is that it is not interesting or or fun to watch as a film. I think it's interesting to talk about and interesting to like, it's interesting in the context of the promise and in the context of how it was made, but boy, I thought it was boring and bad and dumb. (laughs) And I give it one and a half trucks. Wow. All right. It's hard, right? Like sometimes I will find I'm I'm rating our conversation along with a film. Yeah. Do you guys ever feel (laughs) that way? 
Yeah, totally. It's hard to isolate the film as the as the locus for the review. Yeah. Well, I, I give our conversation five trucks. Absolutely. Five trucks every time. Loaded up. And you should give our conversation five trucks on your podcasting app of choice. There you go. There it is. Or, or stars or whatever kind of crazy rating system they've come up with over there. I definitely feel like the 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 hullabaloo around this movie and the promise um, affected the way we saw both films, and you know, and we're and that hullabaloo wasn't um, you know we don't have any control over that hullabaloo, and it was there was a lot of money behind the hullabaloo in addition to behind the films. And there were a lot of... Um, to discount the hullabaloo would mean hullabaloo erasure. Yeah, we don't want to erase the hullabaloo. Watching this movie as a film, a war movie in particular, it was very unclear within the historic setting what we were supposed to care about. Uh, the Ottoman lieutenant is a sort of half-hearted privileged officer who got stuck on this bad assignment. Um, but the silver lining is there's this hot American girl that he absolutely does not ever intend to marry uh, because they're from two different worlds. Uh, she's there to have a big adventure. And you know, when she goes back to Philadelphia to her uh, like Bryn Mawr college reunion, uh, she's going to have a way better story than all of her sorority sisters. Because at the end of the movie, when she says, these are my people and I will be here, you're just like, nope, you're going to, you know, the day you turn 24, you're going to get a letter from home that says, our ferns are wilting and you're going to head back. Because she's a privileged young person who's just having a, having a sport. And for all we know, maybe she ends up marrying Josh Hartnett because. And they raise the lieutenant's baby. <laughs> that would be That's a great That's the end sequel. of Pearl Harbor right there. It keeps happening to Josh Hartnett's characters. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate cuck. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we're not given any kind of. What 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 exposes this? I think as a as a kind of inept uh, propaganda piece is that it's just a series of vignettes. There isn't a there isn't a clear political uh, story here, and that was that's where it really differs from the promise. The promise had a worldview; it was trying to tell a story, and the romance and the and the action sequences were part of that larger narrative and there isn't a there isn't that clear narrative here there's a lot going on we kind of duck in and out of of events people say things that seem like they're important there's some raids but who are we who are we against in this movie the russians we only see the russians once we're against what they seem pretty fun like they're, they're yeah. wasted they're partying they're pretty rowdy right are we against the Armenians? No. Three quarters of the people in this movie that we feel sympathy for are the Armenians. Are we against the Turks? No. Our our main guy is a Turk. So there's not 
and I, and that, that's not to say that every war movie has to have somebody we're against. It's mostly an anti-ether film. It's it's down on ether. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's it's down on like eye shards. Yeah. D- super down on cysts. Very anti-cyst. Um but you know, she does all this stuff. She's a she's a young single American girl in 1915 and just rides off into the war torn Turkish countryside on a horse unescorted and she ne- nobody even hisses at her. You know, my mom went to Istanbul in 1996 and she said I couldn't walk down the street with because as a single woman I wasn't I was a disruptive influence in the cosmopolitan city of Istanbul. Wow. Um that you know like there's a lot being whitewashed here. Did your uh, mom hit anyone with a cabbage? <laughs> She should have. She really should have. Yeah. There's a couple of raised eyebrows when she walks into the men men's car on the train, but that right it doesn't go any further than that. No, I think in reality somebody would have grabbed her by the hair and and thrown her onto the tracks. Um, you know, there's a lot in this movie that is just a movie, like bad script, but some some halfway decent acting, some halfway decent, fairly engaging kind of characters i guess like the ottoman lieutenant himself i was kind of swept off my feet by him i mean he's like pretty flat line charisma wise but handsome i agreed that yeah i'd hit it he had a bad job right you know what he can get it <laughs> kind of an ottoman snack if you will <laughs> yeah a turkish delight if you will fuck that's great that's nice. a lot better that was good that's a good so I'm gonna, whew, you know, like I don't want to praise this film. I also don't kind of want to like, what, be revisionist? I guess I'm gonna give it two brothers trucks and the medical supplies that are in the bed of the truck, in the bed of one of the two trucks, one empty truck and one truck full of medical supplies that we have to buy back. Yeah. From the Armenian bandit. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a loss. <laughs> <laughs> think we had to pay for it twice. Give me a break. Three strong reviews. Do we have three strong guys? Ben, who's your guy? I really struggled to find a guy in this movie. Um, I guess I'm going to give it to the Armenian sniper who takes out like 70% of... Uh, of the Ottoman lieutenant's little cadre of soldiers that they take to van just for being like pretty amazing at, at sniping. I respected his technique. I thought it sucked that he had to get knifed in the end. Mm. He, he was a pretty good sniper. He sniped a lot of dudes. Yeah. And they had good blood packet explosions. I mean, that was, that was an exciting scene. No question about it. Probably like cyst technology adjacent were the blood packets in this film. <laughs> It's a nice pop. They, uh, they looked a little digital to me in that in that sequence, but maybe I'm maybe How about I'm misremembering. That digital forearm uh, that you see being eaten by dogs through the oh, yeah. through the fire. Yeah, I was really worried he was going to shoot those dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, felt like it could go in that direction. I don't think one bullet fired in the air would would scare two stray dogs off of a off of a yeah. severed arm. They would just bark back at you and be like. <laughs> Fuck off. We're, we're yeah. trying to eat this arm here. <laughs> I think he would have shot them. Is the arm your guy, John? That's the real revisionism. 
No, the, I wish the arm was my guy. Yeah, I struggled also to find a guy in this movie, and I kept thinking about a guy that we don't see in this movie, the Philadelphia guy, young, successful, handsome, college-educated. Rocky Balboa? <laughs> uh, not Rocky Balboa. Just a, just a regular, like, well-born, well-bred Philadelphia corn-fed young person corn-fed who's got a who's got a brilliant career ahead of him and who is in love with Hera Hilmar and uh, they grew up together he imagines that that they are they're meant to be together but she is too goddamn plucky (laughs) and she sees a future for herself that isn't confined to his narrow little medical school world She's going to take her brother's truck to a doctor she met once at a slideshow. Where's the Billy Zane in this film? Yeah. That's who you're talking about. I'm talking about about the Billy Zane of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Who all of his friends and his parents and all the people of their social world are all looking at him with like sad eyes at every single social event in Philadelphia as the stories of this plucky heroine you would think back. that a guy that looks like Billy Zane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poor Billy Zane, right? He had everything going for him, except he's in love and we never see him. No. He's, that's yeah. how cucked he is. <laughs> yeah. He makes Josh Hartnett look like a real stud. The Ottoman lieutenant also guilty of Zane erasure. Yeah. I felt like all the voiceover letters that she was writing were not to her parents. They yeah. were to this guy. Wow. Show these to Jerry once you've read them. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it's amazing here. It's so beautiful. And I'm really helping all the local people. And he's just reading them and just choking on bile. My lips are still super quivery. I'm still almost the virgin you knew. You can you can really sympathize with every guy that falls in love with her. Wow. Yeah. Great guy, John. That's my guy. Uh, Billy Zane. <laughs> I my guy is crucial to the film, foundational to its story, uh, maybe what the entire film is about. Uh, only you never know who this person is because uh, the film erases that person from history, and that's my guy. You don't know him. We don't know who he is. He got my, erased. My my guy is the is the act of a film erasing their existence. Wow. Yeah. What a great film studies paper that was, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a film studies tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tomb yeah. of the unknown guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, my yeah. guy. Don't mess with the soldier walking back and forth in front of that. <laughs> Uh, we got to mess with a 120-sided die because we need to figure out what the next film is that we're going to watch for Friendly Fire. What's it going to be, John? All right, well, I got the die right here, our beautiful 120-sided die. All right, here we go. Ready? Look at that thing go. 82. Did we call 82 before? I don't want this die to be loaded. Oh, it's weird because the Ottoman Lieutenant is our 82nd mainline episode. Oh, the die knows more than we know. Yeah. But uh, 82 is a movie from the year 2000, 
Directed by Roland Emmerich <laughs> uh, about the Revolutionary War and starring Melvin Gibson. It's The Patriot. Oh, wow. The Patriot. I'm guessing you guys have strong feelings about The Patriot. When you have a serious subject matter to turn into a film, you you call up Roland Emmerich. <laughs> <laughs> he is your first uh, call. I did not see The Patriot when it came out. Uh, this will be my first stab at it. Oh, interesting. Wow. The Patriot is kind of a famous movie for people to hate watch. Is it the spiritual sequel to Braveheart? Well, I think it gets compared to Braveheart. And I yeah, I don't know if, I mean, we did not like Braveheart. I didn't like it. Maybe you guys liked it more than me. I don't remember. I've never heard our show. <laughs> um, Rob, just drop in our three... Uh, rating ratings on that. <laughs> I would be curious to hear what those are. That might predate our rating system. Oh shit! That was like that was uh, that was episode seven. Wow, early. But I uh, I didn't watch this movie in the theaters, but I'm but I'm pretty sure I've watched it on late night television. Um, maybe not in its entirety, but I think it's the type of movie I've dropped into, watched for an hour in a hotel room. Yeah, and then and then when you achieve completion, you turn it off because <laughs> you you can't take it anymore. But it's going to be interesting because this is a this is a movie that that I think there are a lot of there's a lot of consensus. It's really overblown, overwrought. Mm. But we've watched a lot of war movies since the last time I saw this, so we may have a we may have a different take. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Did you see it in the theaters, Adam? No. I did not. So you've you've never seen it either. I mean, I I think my my relationship to it is a lot like yours. I think it's been incidentally on, and I've seen parts of it. Yeah, right. It's it's one of those epics that you couldn't possibly watch all the way through because it's two and a half freaking hours long. Yeah. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it. The Patriot. Me too. We love Mel Gibson on this show. Oh yeah, love him. <laughs> I just want to line that guy's pockets with money. <laughs> I'm glad to see that guy's getting another chance right now. <laughs> I, I'm curious. Uh, I'm I'm really interested in this new this this thread uh, that started. It feels like today, Ben, where you're worried about us watching movies and it giving money to people. I think it is important to engage critically with the work of uh, artists who have questionable personal lives, but. Uh, I also don't want to engender positive economic impact for those people. So Oof, it's a it's a thin line between love and hate. <laughs> while, while we're on the topic, everyone go download all the Long Winters records and pay full price for them. Yeah, it's one of the reasons Ben does not subscribe to your Patreon, John. <laughs> John's not canceled. No, I'm not canceled. I'm right in the thick of it, man. It is sweeps week for John Roderick. <laughs> You can call me a boomer all you like. I'm just coming back stronger and stronger. Mm. That's the thing about boomers. That's right. I love it. <laughs> Stop Generation X Erasure. That's my that's my t-shirt. No more Gen X Erasure. If, I, if Gen X got erased, I wouldn't have any podcast partners. Oh, he just Gen X'd you, mm. Adam. It's fair. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, next week we'll be watching a weird Mel Gibson movie. Um, 
So uh, I guess we'll leave it with Rob's from here. Uh, for John Roderick and Adam Pranica, I've been Ben Harrison. To the victor, go the spoiler alerts. Friendly Fire is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Ben Harrison, John Roderick, and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is War by Edwin Starr, courtesy of Stone Agate Music. And our logo art is by Nick Dittmore. If you feel like supporting the show, head on over to MaximumFun.org donate. It helps us keep the lights on over here at Friendly Fire. And as an added bonus, you'll get access to our Pork Chop feed, as well as all of the other bonus content on Maximum Fun. If you'd like to share the show online, use the hashtag FriendlyFire. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is at CutForTime. John is at John Roderick, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you next week. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.